so we're doing it at the beginning and at the end, right? Is that correct? Oh, that's such a lovely song. I was just going to let it play, and then some a-hole started talking right in the middle of it. Hi. Hey, everybody. My name is Kelly Turner, and I'm not a doctor. My name is Scott Wright, and I'm a mediocre journalist. I just proved it. Well, I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer. And uh, Katie is also our producer and editor and all, all of the above, and I know her head is ready to pop <laughs> off every week when you do this crap, Scott. Anyways, well, what you were talking about You is, dared me. I mean, how could I, know, I not? I know, and, and I regret yeah. that. But you said what you were asking about, uh-huh. are we going to do it at the front of the episode or whatever it was you said. Uh, yes, we have a shout out. So you don't listen is what you're telling me. Not really. But, okay. Um, what, or who, who, who? My friend. What's the correct my, grammar? My long, long friend, Laura Wildman. Okay. Is a dedicated listener to the show. She lives out on the West Coast. I met her 30 years ago when we worked at Disney World together. Oh, that's awesome. And she just reached out to me last week on Venmo and she sent me five bucks randomly and said, hey, buying you a drink. And I messaged her back and said, why are you buying me a drink? She says, well, we don't get to hang out anymore, so have a beer on me. So I had to send her five bucks back, which I haven't done yet. Sorry, Laura. I'm working on that. But uh, she's a dedicated listener to the show, and I just wanted to say hi, Laura. I haven't talked to you in a while, but I will try to mend that soon. Hi, Laura, and thank you for She's listening. fantastic. Yes, thank you for She's listening. from upstate New York. She talks a mile a minute. You think that I talk a lot? Hang out with her. <laughs> She will drive you nuts, but I love her. We've known each other for three decades, and so so uh, tell me about you working at Disney World because that's a little scary. <laughs> um, I was a skipper on the Jungle Cruise. That's fun. So I you took talked a, a yes, lot. of course I did. Yeah, I took a semester off from school, and I went down to Orlando, and they had this big uh, condominium. Uh, area for a bunch of college kids to live in. You can imagine what went on there every day. Yeah, the Disney 2,500 of us. The college program. Yeah, yes. it's still going on. Yeah, it's still a thing. And uh, so I got to be a skipper on the Jungle Cruise for four months. And uh, and what was Laura? She worked in food or, or hospitality somewhere because she okay. still works in hospitality today, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think she works at a uh, for a for a hotel chain, oh, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. She did the last time we had a voice conversation with each other. Yeah. So if I could work at Disney World, I would want to be the evil stepmother that walks around because this is her job all day. She literally walks around with a scowl on her face, verbally abusing children. You would nail it. Because you (laughs) verbally abuse us two adults every chance you get. So I could only imagine you would be terrific. It would be the highlight of my day every day. I can scare small children. (laughs) I can remember when I learned that the princesses, you had to be a certain, like, hot, like, that you had to fit the The dress and not the dress fit you. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'll never happen. You have to be, like, five, six or something, and I'm... Mm -hmm. You're not quite that sad. tall, are you now? No. Yeah. I could have done Tinkerbell, I think, is the, is the yeah. one. You, you may be too small for that. <laughs> oh, I have a shout-out, too. Um, my friend Amy Becker, she texted me yesterday. We met in Key West randomly a few years ago. Okay. and she, I remember they, that story vaguely. And they live in, like, South Dakota, and she texted me, was just saying, hope we were doing well, and then telling me that she loves the podcast. Oh, thank Did you you tell her about it or did she? I must have, uh, you know. She didn't just randomly find you. No, Key West is a trip that 
you don't bring back too many memories. This from. is correct. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, if you have fun, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, yeah, we must have got to talking about the podcast. We had to have not been doing it long at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's been a while since we've been to Key West. That's but, yeah. wonderful. Well, thank yes. you for listening. Uh, Amy. Mm-hmm. Yes, Amy. Hello, Amy. Mm-hmm. We're glad to have you on board. Um, you guys know before we get started that the uh, Murdoch case begins this week. We're recording this on Sunday, mm-hmm. but by the time our listeners hear this on Wednesday, the Murdoch case in Colleton County, South Carolina will be mm-hmm. two days old. Mm. Uh, there's some new information. We don't know exactly what's going to go on yet. Uh, motions have been filed. I'm not even sure if a jury's been seated, but we will have updates about that one because we did that four-part series last yes. year and did the, when we did Murdoch May. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely going to keep up with that and let definitely. our listeners know what's going on. And I will definitely keep the listeners updated uh, if there are any developments in the Feeding Cats case. Yes. Absolutely. Please. We're on the edge of our seats. I am literally on the edge of my seat about that one. All right. One question before we get started. Did anyone see the first episode of the new HBO series, The Last of Us? Kevin watched it. I have not. I have not. Okay. I cannot wait for episode two, and I'm saying this on Sunday afternoon, so I get to go home after we leave here and watch episode two tonight. If you're listening to this... Mm -hmm. You can already download and watch episode two on HBO Max because to you it is Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Wednesday, if you didn't already see that Adams Family based show on Netflix, I was but you know about what? That. I enjoyed that show a lot. The I, I am a huge season two has already been announced. Okay, well I'm a huge Tim Burton. They fan. did it with Thing. <laughs> doing the two thing fingers is, thing up. Thing is the hand yeah. holding up mm. two He's fingers. holding up two fingers to announce that there's a season two of Wednesday. Well, yeah. Of course, it broke records on Netflix. Like, they, they acted like, oh, will they, won't they, season two? Of course. Yeah. It was like the most streamed show when it... One know, of the, the most week. of all time. But, like, it's like first week. It, it broke, like, the Stranger Things record is what... Tim is Burton always it. does something just right for mm-hmm. me. I mean, I, I I really dig it. I Agreed. dig the the colors and the yeah. The Batman eighty nine, one of my favorite films of all best, time, and that's Tim Burton. Best Batman, yes. Ever. Agreed. Yeah, all I right. know. I know that that's a that's a sore subject for a lot of people, but it was just the first Batman that ever that had ever been done properly. Yes. You know, there'd been Batman sixty six with Adam West and Dick uh, the the I forget the other guy's name, but. Uh, Dick Grayson, Burt Ward was the other actor. And it was just based on that campy TV show from the 60s. But when they finally did Batman the first time and got it right, it was 89 and it was Tim Burton. And he, then he did the sequel, which yeah. had Penguin. Batman Returns in 92 with the Penguin. Danny DeVito as the Penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah I I've didn't like it as one. much as the first one. No, the first one is fantastic with, yeah. with the Joker. They got it, it right. Fantastic. Oh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Oh, man. I mean, they could have stopped right there and never done another one, and I would have been happy with Hollywood's attempt to put Batman on the silver screen. Man, it was it was a really great show. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I loved I loved Wednesday. I also watched while well, we're just talking about television shows. Sure, uh, the Recruit on Netflix. I've watched good. the first couple of episodes I and I good. like it. Yeah, and I want to finish it. That's yeah. is that Amazon Prime. Is it perhaps I it was, maybe it's uh, Netflix. Netflix, but it's know. it's a, it's a lawyer who finds himself working for the CIA. Yeah. And they send him off on all of these crazy missions yeah. that don't really have anything to do with his law degree. And no. so he's the first two episodes that I saw, he's really just kind of feeling his way around, figuring out how everything works. He's literally having to just figure it out. They're like, hey, you need to go to Syria. Yeah. 
how the hell do I do that? Just make it happen. Yeah. yeah. So tell us when you get back and tell us <laughs> that this is all cleaned up. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of there's a steep learning curve for him and for us when you watch the recruit, at least the first two episodes that I've seen. Right. Right. All right. So this week mm-hmm. Scott is in the big chair and he is going to tell a story that I don't Katie, do you know anything about this story? Not much. I don't either. Well, you would think that I would because it happened 10 years ago this month and it was a big story in Alabama and nationally. Mm-hmm. And well, I don't I, remember I'm a sure. single thing about it. And I was working as the editor of the local newspaper even then. Well, oh. You were mediocre. Mediocre then. journalist <laughs> all my life. So I'm looking forward to learning more about this. I, I do rem- remember that, that this happened, but yeah. I, that's, I don't know anything else about it. So I'm going to learn with everybody else today. So Scott, take it away and tell us about a true crime in Alabama. Yeah, we haven't done one in Alabama since last yeah. week. Since last week. Did we do it last week? <laughs> was I here last week? You were drunk. Oh, yeah, I was drunk last week. Sorry. Okay, but before that, it had been a minute. Well, actually, it was two weeks before that. Oh, anyway, so I'm going to approach this from a strictly journalistic point of view this week. We're going to hit all of the W's. Who, what, Uh-oh. when, where, and why. Yeah, so this is going to be half-assed at best. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you want to go feed the cats or let the dog out, now's the time. No, no. Okay, don't. Um, First of all, let's figure out exactly where this crime took place. This, I couldn't make it up if I tried story from 10 years ago this month in Alabama. We are headed way, way down into South Alabama today. Way down. About as far away as you can get from where the three of us sit right now in Cherokee County. Okay. According to Google Maps. And still be in Alabama. We are going to be in Midland City, Alabama. That's in Dale County. Then that is in the extreme southeast corner of the state of Alabama. Okay. In my nose edges. Sorry. Okay. It's like you're... No, no, no. Like, go ahead. Are you touching Georgia and Florida here? Yes. We're getting very close. Mm-hmm. Midland City is 240 miles from where we sit right now. And the state of Alabama is only 300 miles tall from north to south. Yeah. So, so it's yeah, very... Yeah, it's like close. a four or five hour drive from where we sit now. Okay. Midland City has a population of around 2,300 people, so it's similar in size to to Center, Alabama, where we live. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's about 3,300 people in Center, Alabama. And like everywhere else in in Southeast Alabama, Midland City is as flat as a flannel cake. (laughs) In Alabama, we call that portion of the state the Wiregrass. It's an area that includes Southeast Alabama, as well as extreme Northwest Georgia, I'm sorry, Southwest Georgia, and the Florida Panhandle. Mm -hmm. And the region is named after the type of grass that grows in that sort of coastal ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you don't want to walk through it, it will scratch your legs. Yes. Uh, We've all seen it. Yeah. On our way. On our way to the beach. Or whatever, yeah. Uh, The town hall in Midland City is situated in what appears to be an antebellum home. It's two stories tall. It's very quiet. It seems it's uh, very well maintained. Doric columns out front, 25 feet tall. It looks like just an old antebellum home right in the middle of a big parking lot or a big grassy area surrounded by a parking lot, like where a town square would be. Mm -hmm. I bet it's a really pretty building. It's beautiful. It really is nice. Go to the Midland City website and check it out for yourself. I'm going to do that. Have either of you ever been to that part of the state other than driving down I've on been, your way to the beach? I've been through it, I'm sure. Yeah, same here. You go through Dothan. Dothan is about mm-hmm. 10 miles yeah. away okay, yeah, from okay. Midland City. Yeah. 
So if you're on your way, if we go to, if we, we, it depends on where you're going to the beach. Once once we hit Dothan, I think there's a a few ways that you, and it depends on which beach you're visiting. Yeah, exactly. You can you can go in any of several directions once you get to Dothan to get to your very specific section of the beaches on the Florida Panhandle. Yes, Pensacola or Destin or. that area that you told me about last year that you guys went to, I don't remember exactly what you said. Now, it doesn't matter. But the, several different ways to get to different areas of the beach, depending on where you're going. So that's the only thing I know about it. Just passing through on my way to the Gulf Coast. Okay. Where is Midland in relation to Eufaula, Alabama? I would have to check a map to see, but, I mean, we're we're all in that same area. You're kind of in Troy that, okay. is in Troy. Troy is okay. there. Don't we all know somebody in our circle of friends whose son or daughter has been a student at Troy? Am I remembering that? Yeah, we've wrong? had several students from okay. this area. Troy is in that area. Mm-hmm. Yes. When I was in school, Troy was where Girl State was held. Okay. And, and several different I went there a lot in the summers. That campus, it hosted a lot of different things that I did in high school. Well, this d- year, Troy hosted the uh, Trumbauer competition, the, the drama competition and that's something your daughter is involved in yes right Mm -hmm. so um and troy university this year just uh, as an aside they went 12 and 2 this year the football team did won their bowl game finished 19th in the final postseason associated press poll so way to go trojans congratulations yeah um so that's the where okay of this story all right and so just to help get us in the right place historically speaking Let's just briefly talk about the when okay. of this story. All right. So the week before the events that I'm about to tell you took place, Barack Obama was sworn in for his second term as president. Okay. Uh, and also in early 2013, do you guys remember when the meteor exploded in the sky over Chelyabinsk, Russia? No. no. Does that ring a bell at all? No. I remember seeing like dash cam footage from cars all over the city. There was this streak through the sky and this loud explosion. I remember when that happened. I didn't remember when it was until I did a little research. And I didn't know this, or I had at least forgotten, 1,500 people were injured when that happened. And 4,300 buildings were damaged. I assume windows got blown out. Oh, wow. But if you're out there and you remember that, that's that's what was going on when our story took place. I knew absolutely nothing about that. I, I was in college at the time, so I probably wasn't watching the news. Right. That's yeah. got to be terrifying. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, it was, it was very, nobody knew what it was for a few minutes. I mean, yeah. you know, a nuclear attack or, or mm-hmm. some sort of mm-hmm. massive explosion. Yeah. But it just rocked the whole area. It was the biggest explosion of a meteor in a hundred years on this planet. Oh my goodness. When it happened. Hmm. So now let's get to the what of this story. On January the 28th, 2013, a 65 year old man named Jimmy Lee Dykes climbed aboard a Dale County, Alabama school bus and demanded that the driver release into his custody two children off of that bus as hostages. We will get to who Jimmy Lee Dykes was and why he wanted hostages in just a minute. But first, here's what happened on that school bus that gets this story off and running. Dykes waved a handgun in the face of 66-year-old bus driver Charles Poland and threatened to shoot him if he did not let Dykes take two young boys, one age six and one age eight, off the bus. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. And while the standoff is playing out between Dykes 
and Poland at the front of the bus, the kids are going nuts. They're hopping out of their seats. They're screaming. They're trying to get towards the back of the bus. They're trying to put more of those high-backed school bus benches between them and a crazy old man waving a gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a school bus is chaos anyway. And then you introduce a yeah. crazy old man with a handgun. Hello. Yeah. One of the older kids on the bus was 15. He slid down in the seat and hid, and he called 911 on this argument. Oh, wow. wow. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you can go online today and listen to the audio of that phone oh, call. Oh, is You it don't just, want to. Oh, is it awful? You don't want to. Hmm. Poland and Dykes, they're up front arguing back and forth. Mm-hmm. Poland was saying, I can't let you take these kids. They're my responsibility. Dykes was screaming back, I can't help that. I need two kids right now. The cops are on the way. So the kids are screaming. The two adults are screaming back and forth at each other. Mm-hmm. And just about everyone, including Jimmy Lee Dykes, is pretty much near panic at that point. Everybody except Chuck Poland, the bus driver. Mm-hmm. He was a veteran of the U.S. Army, and he kept his cool while he had a 9 millimeter handgun shoved in his face. Mm-hmm. Oh, my wow. gosh. Wow. After a few more seconds of back and forth between Dykes and Poland, the bus driver finally said, you're going to have to shoot me. Oh, <gasps> what a hero. I have not seen the bus security system video, mm-hmm. only the audio that I've listened to. And I don't want to see it because what happens next is... Dykes shoots Poland five times oh, at point blank range. I didn't know that's where this no. was going. In front of a busload of school kids. Oh my gosh. He died a hero. The things you can't unsee, right? Yeah. At one point in the audio of the 911 call, you can hear the 15 year old say very calmly and coolly to the operator, the bus driver is dead. Oh, this poor kid. After he shoots and kills Chuck Poland, Jim Dykes figures he's about to run out of time before the cops arrive. Yeah. So he abandons his plan for two hostages, and he grabs the kid sitting directly behind the bus driver. Oh, he hadn't moved. No. He's five years old. too scared. Sure. His name is Ethan Gilman. He's a baby. And he's five. He is a baby. Little Ethan, on top of being traumatized by what he had just seen, certainly, and frightened beyond belief by this gun-wielding old fart, is also autistic. Mm. Oh. He has Asperger's syndrome and ADHD, okay. so he requires daily medication oh. to maintain his health. Yeah. Stick a pin in that. Oh. Well, and that's probably his assigned seat on that bus. That it, one. That's right exactly what he it knows. is. He his move. his buddy is Chuck Poland. Mm-hmm. That's oh. his buddy. God, I just want to cry. Yeah. Dykes does not know any of this as he wrestles with young Ethan across the dirt road onto his property and down a 12-foot shaft into a secret bunker that he has built on the edge of his property. No, what? Now, before long, just as cops begin to arrive in the area, Dykes and his young hostage have been secured inside their underground bunker And it's very close to where the bus stopped. I'll get to that in a second. Before we climb down the ladder into that bunker that Jimmy Lee Dykes has constructed, exactly who was Jimmy Lee Dykes and why was he doing this? What the heck? So here's the who and the why. First, the who. Jimmy Lee Dykes, Jim Dykes, was 65 years old, a Vietnam vet. I mentioned that. 
He lived an isolated life in a sparsely populated area of Dale County near Midland City. He was estranged from his two daughters and had been for years. Perhaps that was no surprise because Jim Dykes was the guy nobody liked. He had been arrested in 1995 in Florida for brandishing a weapon. And he had been arrested again in Florida in 2000 for drug possession. After he moved from Florida to Midland City following those legal run-ins, he beat a neighbor's dog to death with a metal pipe because it wandered onto his property. No. He set out bowls of antifreeze to try and kill other dogs that wandered past. So I already fucking hate this guy. He is truly the, the like... Um, Anyone who would beat a dog to death with a metal pipe deserves whatever he gets. He's your... That cliche of the old man, get off my lawn. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Yeah. Except like times 10. Yeah. Because he's putting out antifreeze. Jim Dykes is literally the walking nightmare of a neighbor that none of us ever wants to oh, find ourselves that, near. Right, right. And sure enough, Dykes was hated by all of his neighbors. I'm sure. He threatened kids in the area to stay off his property. He argued over who got to pick up the pecans that fell off of a tree that was on a shared property line. He built a speed bump on the road just to annoy the other people who lived in the neighborhood. Is that even legal? It's a private road, so so maybe so. It's a a private private dirt road. road. It's a private dirt road off the highway. Okay. Okay. Well, the day after the incident on the school bus, Dykes had been scheduled to appear in court to answer a charge of firing a gun at another neighbor. As for the why Mm -hmm. Jim Dykes did this, Dykes was, can I say, nut job? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's not a. a I'm I'm saying nut job. Okay. Well, none of us are doctors here, so I'm no, I'm yeah, calling nut job okay. on this one. All right, yeah. He was one of those anti-government conspiracy theorists who believed it was his civic duty to fight against everything in the entire world. Dykes had a hard time holding down steady employment. I'm shocked. No, I know. Yeah. And when he found himself with a few extra bucks in his pocket, he often quickly became unattached to them because he had a gambling problem. Oh, he liked to bet the ponies, but more often than not, when that nag to win came around the track, sure enough, he had lost. Whoopsie. So he, he was not good at gambling. And anytime Jim Dykes lost his wager at the horse track, he blamed the mafia for the mafia. sticking it to him because he thought the mafia controlled the horse races. Congratulations to you both if you had blame it on the mafia on your bingo card today. Um, that's, you know, gutsy to uh, want to take on the mafia. This guy is no shits given. Yeah, I believe it. Nothing was Jim Dykes' fault. Mm-hmm. Someone else was to blame always to hear him tell the story. Everyone was out to get him. And none of the misfortunes that had ever befallen him during his life were his fault. Was he, so you said he went to Vietnam. He was, I'm assuming, drafted. PTSD. I mean, so he, he came home not, with all of that that he had seen. He did and not choose to go to Vietnam. So that may have started then or it could have started even when he was younger. Yeah. Do you know anything about him before the war? No. Okay. But it was always blame the mafia, blame the government. Uh, when Dykes walked into a convenience store, people ducked around the corner and went to the other aisle and hoped mm-hmm. that he talked to someone else so that they didn't have to listen to him. Fire off one of his anti-government screeds. We've all seen this old man in yeah. the convenience store. As I said earlier, Jim Dykes was an easy man to dislike. It sounds like it. At some point, Dykes 
perhaps grew tired of being shunned by everyone and ignored. So he concocted a plan to take two children hostage and hold them in his newly constructed underground bunker so that the news media would be forced to come to his property and listen while he ranted and raved. He wanted a platform, and this kidnapping scheme was his plan to build a very public platform for himself. This was just to gain an audience. Yes. So I'm seriously concerned about uh, the mental health of this man. This Mm -hmm. is an understatement, obviously. Do you know anything about... I'm sure, has, has he ever gone to the doctor? Has he ever seen There's anyone? really not a lot that's known about Dykes before this all happens. Except that he's estranged from his daughters. He's a Vietnam vet. He's a loner. He's Did he yeah. have Facebook? a nut job. 2013, certainly Facebook existed, but I don't I'm know that he did. Get, I'm going to guess he did not Probably have anything not. like that. I don't think so. Uh, now, according to this plan of his, Dykes was going to jump up and down and scream on live TV after the media had arrived and set okay. up their cameras, right? right? So that's the plan. Dykes believed that what he had to say, wait for it, would start a revolution. Oh, and God. And would overthrow the government. Okay. And then and only then, he would release the children from custody and he would commit suicide. That was his plan. Oh, my God. And that was not his first plan either. The year before, he had told a friend who gave him a ride to the store that he was thinking about holding up a church congregation, holding them hostage. So that the media would show up and he could fire off all of his grievances. He thinks the media is going to show up before the police. I know. There's some holes in it. So the school bus hold up, kidnapping hostage situation, that was plan B. Wow. How did he get this bus held up? I'm almost there. and okay. it, there's, a, there's a story about how he does it. And it, it, it makes okay. sense when you hear it. Okay. But in the mind of Jim Dykes... Instead of the church situation, if he brings somebody into this bunker that he's built, he can't get an FBI sniper bullet between the eyes at some point through a window. So he thinks he's gotten control of the situation and if, if he does it, it this way. And if it's two children, then everybody's going to take more Everybody's uh, cer- Certainly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So it seems like Jim Dykes has come up with a perfectly plausible plan to get what he wants. Right? Nothing can possibly go wrong. Yeah. God, yeah. Good Lord. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. This episode of True Crime on Easy Street is brought to you by the Chamber of Cherokee County. And they would like to remind you to shop local. Put your money into those local businesses that help you, your clubs, your ball teams, your organizations, all of your sales. They help you. So help them shop local. Mediocre journalists rejoice. I am here, and my name is Scott Wright, and I'm the editor of the Post-Herald here in Cherokee County. And if you don't have a subscription, let me tell you the easiest way that you can imagine to get one. Call 927-4476. The area code is 256. And if you live here in Cherokee County, you can get a subscription for as little as 20 bucks a year. We are one of the proud sponsors of this podcast, True Crime on Easy Street. I hope you guys read the paper every week. Kelly? I do. Uh-huh. Bullshit. Can I say that in an ad? Katie, how about you? I mean, it's your ad. I guess you can do what you want. I guess I can do what I want. I'm paying 20 bucks a month. And if you would like to advertise with us as well, it's only 20 bucks. In the meantime, if you want to subscribe to the Post-Herald, also only 20 bucks a month, do that by calling 256-927-4476. Thank you so much to the Post-Herald for being a sponsor. I'm not sure you mean that, but it is appreciated. 
This week, coming up at Easy Street, Tuesday nights are bingo. Wednesday night, our brand new game night. Can't wait. I think we're going to play Pictionary. I'm there. I'm not good at drawing, but but I can guess. I draw better when I've been drinking, so <laughs> stick bet. around. I bet. Thursday nights are trivia. Friday nights, Corey Rose at the bar stage. And Saturday night, them mixing boys. Oh, those guys are fantastic. It's going to be a great week at Easy Street. Thank you to all of our sponsors of our podcast here. And Scott, let's let's get to the end of this. What the heck is going on? All right. So, so we've talked about the what of this story. Now let's get down into the details just a little bit more about exactly what happened. So sometime in the fall of 2012, Jim Dykes began digging a 12-foot deep hole in the ground on his property. He told anyone who asked that he was building a storm shelter. Certainly not an unheard of idea here in Alabama where tornadoes are a part of life. He's hand digging this? He, and he has some help. The same guy who gave him the ride that day that he told about the church holdup mm-hmm. situation possibility idea that's the guy who helped him dig the hole in the ground now did he had he already told him about the church thing when he helped him dig the hole yes but again a plausible idea hey i'm just i'm building a storm shelter i mean how many people do we know who have storm there are storm shelters in the community here where we live yeah Mm -hmm. i mean the storm shelter so it's not outside no having a bunker having a storm shelter yeah a lot of People have that in, in Alabama, as you said, because of our weather. But I just don't understand then agreeing to help this guy after he said these Mm-mm. He's a neighbor, I guess. Things. You know, keep your uh, friends close and your enemies closer kind of a thing. I mean, Maybe. Just I don't a, know. Just a quick shovel to the back of the head. Well, Yeah, right. Well, don't forget about the neighbor who helped yeah. dig the hole because he's going to come back into this story in just a minute. Okay. Now, by the time Jim Dykes put his final plan, his school bus plan into motion, He'd been working on the details of this plot for months. Obviously, it took months to build that hole in the ground, and he knew what he was going to do with it. Mm-hmm. He didn't tell anybody, but he knew. So Dykes lived on an acre and a half of land on this private dirt road right off of 431 in Midland City. His shop, his workshop was a storage container. He lived in a little RV with a tiny deck on the front. He was a loner. The whole area was fenced off, gated, no trespassing signs everywhere. He was that guy. He was extremely paranoid. Yes. Now, part of Dykes' plan was to successfully befriend the school bus driver who drove up that private dirt road, dropped off kids along the way, and then had to get to a spot near Dykes' property and awkwardly back around, back up and turn around and come back down the road. It was a dead-end road, so the bus driver had to turn around. So what Dykes did was he cleared out some trees on the edge of his property to make it easier for the bus to get that turnaround every morning and every afternoon. Yeah. And Chuck Poland, the bus driver, took notice of the work that Dykes had done. He doesn't know Jim Dykes from a hole in the ground, Mm -hmm. no pun intended, but he thinks, hey, this guy did something nice for me, so I am going to take him a gift to thank him for doing that. Okay. On the very morning that the, that this all happened, Chuck Poland left a jar of homemade jam and eggs from his own chicken house in Jim Dykes' car because he wasn't there that morning when the bus picked up the kids and turned around. Are you kidding As me? As a way the to say day. thanks that morning. <sighs> for, to say no. thank you for cleaning out that area. 
so that the bus can turn around a little bit easier. It was at this very same turnaround site that very afternoon at 3.30 where Poland sees Dykes approaching the bus and thinks, hey, he wants to say thanks for the uh, sure. for the jelly and the eggs. Yeah. So he opens the door and lets him on the oh. bus. Oh. And Jimmy Lee Dykes isn't interested in saying thank you. Mm-mm. He hands Poland a handwritten letter that lays out his terms. I need two boys, well-behaved, ages six and eight. They're coming with me. Poland could pick the two children, the letter said. <laughs> but they needed to be smart. No emotional problems. Poland was to zip tie the boys' hands. Yeah, he uh, d- d- and stay he, calm as they left. Yeah, he's got enough emotional problems. He doesn't need two kids with with right. them. Yeah, make a move and I'll shoot you. Dykes told Poland. <sighs> After that, there were several seconds of arguing, as I mentioned. There's screaming in the back with the kids, and then there's five quick shots from the nine millimeter handgun that Dykes had pointed at Chuck Poland. He died heroically and instantly. Mm-hmm. Right in front of all those kids. And I'm looking at photos of, of Chuck Poland and Jim Dykes. And, and Chuck looks just like a sweet, a sweet old man. Like a 66-year-old I mean, grandpa. He does. Which he was. He does. He's smiling. He's, you know, a sweet-looking man. And then you, you look at the picture of, of Jim Dykes, and he just looks like a very angry man. And not, you know... Yeah. He totally does. Like his jaw is very set, and and that's his driver's license photo. I think that you're like with the blue background here in Alabama. That's the driver's looks license. Kind of bad in their driver's license, yeah. but it, yeah, you're right, Scott. He looks exactly like you think he would look. He does. I mean, I, I hate to profile in absentia, but he looks. I could have sketched that guy and this gotten pretty a, close if I'd never even seen the photo. This is a very delusional, very angry man. Yeah. So remember that the 15 year old is on 911. Yes. With the operator. Good so the cops him. are Good on the way. Him. Yes. So pretty soon, Dykes hears the sirens okay. coming. He's got to hustle little Ethan across his property, get to the heavy hatch that he's put on the top of his uh, bunker. Shove him inside and latch it behind him. So he does all of that. And then it takes six days before this is resolved. Six days? Yes. And this child needs medication. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So now, the three of us, let's just imagine for a minute that we're in that bunker. Oh, my god. Just gosh. imagine. Let's take let's take a look around. We're in that bunker. Okay. With Ethan and Jim Dykes. Let's look around. So we're standing in a six by eight foot hole, twelve feet under the ground. It's about the size of a parking space. Oh my lord. Dykes has crammed water and food inside. The bunker was tiny. He had bunk beds, electric lighting, and a TV. He also had booby traps up the shaft to the hatch and at least one improvised explosive device, an IED, in the bunker. It turned out. After he secured the hatch and handed a very frightened Ethan some coloring books, Jim Dykes called 911 on his cell phone, which was dying. 
Dykes told the operator his address and announced to her that he had shot the school bus driver and taken a hostage. Dykes told the operator to send the police to the property. The directions that he gave, the, uh, the directions, his address, and told them how to communicate with him. Now, how's he going to do that? How are they going to talk to this guy? Well, what he's done is he's run 170 feet of three-inch PVC pipe from his bunker to the edge of his property where the gate's located, and it there's an elbow joint, and it sticks up about six feet high, and there's another elbow joint, and that's how you're going to talk to him. It's two cans on a string, basically. They're playing telephone? Yes. That's how they're going to talk to him. Does that work? Can they it hear? worked. It worked fairly well. They could. They depending, could they it. said that they could, okay. some of the videos that I saw, some of the documentaries said we could actually hear pretty well, considering that it was 170 feet away. Okay. So some of the local deputies start to communicate with Dykes, try to figure out what he wants, what's going on here, and they eventually learn what I told you guys about his plan and all of this stuff. He wanted, Dykes wanted total cooperation from the authorities, obviously, and informed the deputy that he had placed explosives around the property, including inside the bunker. So that IED that I mentioned, mm-hmm. he's, he's telling them, I've got this place wired. If you try to come in, I'm going to blow it up. Don't, don't try to come in here. Mm-hmm. Noncompliance on any of these terms would result in an earth-shattering kaboom, Dykes warned the officer. And I'm paraphrasing, but considering that he had already shot and killed Chuck Poland, they believed him. And he's not afraid to die. His plan is once he's done with all this, he's going to die. They don't necessarily know that yet, but they know that he shot the bus driver. So So this guy's, he doesn't care. He's off the deep end. Yeah. And he's got a gun. Yeah. So the local police try their best to appease Dykes until the FBI team from the Mobile field office can get there. And they do eventually. Uh, eventually, a, a hostage negotiator arrives. And some of those folks from the behavioral science unit that we have talked about many times on this show that try to figure out what's going on with this guy, profile. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to keep him on the phone as much as possible is one thing. They want to mm-hmm. get his demeanor and find out how his mood is. And they want to keep him calm. They want to assess his mental stability or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. So by now the place is swarming with state troopers, Alabama Bureau of Investigation officers, and the FBI hostage team from Mobile. There was another command center set up about a quarter of a mile away at uh, Destiny Church, which is right on the highway, but near the entrance of that private dirt road Mm -hmm. that we've discussed. So very close to where the situation is happening that's the the parking lot is full of police cars and you know there's big trailers that say FBI on the side and all that stuff is there before long it didn't take the FBI very long to figure out that Dykes had placed another homemade bomb in that PVC pipe near the end of it at the gate where the FBI was supposed to be talking to him mm. so conceivably he could have blown that up at any time and killed anybody who was trying to talk to him yeah so the FBI pretty quickly set up a, a microphone and ran a, a wire yeah. so that he didn't know the difference. They were talking through the through the PVC pipe, but they weren't standing at the edge of the PVC mm. pipe. So he didn't put any cameras up there. He did not. 
And that was an oversight because somehow, and I'll get to this later, but somehow the FBI was able to see inside that bunker. Hmm. They knew what was going on in that bunker. I can only assume that they ran some sort of wire camera down, down that, that PVC pipe that he wasn't able to see. But the FBI is very cloak and dagger about exactly how they were able to yeah, see what was going on. They shouldn't tell. In there. They should not tell. Yeah, that may yeah. be some technology we don't know about. We don't want nanobots that look like flies. Yeah, we don't want. Oh, there's a conspiracy theory for you. Well, we don't want the next person who tries some crap like this to yeah. know how they saw in there. Yeah. yeah. And they also, the FBI figured out pretty quickly that uh, Ethan needed that medication several times a day to maintain his mental health because they were worried that if if Ethan got agitated and exhibited the yes. symptoms of his physical ailments, yes, that it would agitate Dykes and make him act irrationally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Too late, right? Ugh. But here we are. But but yeah, you're trying to keep him calm. The child can't. He doesn't know that he's a, got a kid yeah. that's got emotional issues. I mean, he finds out. But the FBI sees an opportunity here. Okay, okay. It's an excuse to get them in the proximity of this bunker Mm -hmm. and the hatch several times a day. They they don't give him a day's worth of medication. They give him his morning dose and his afternoon dose and his evening dose so that that gives him three chances to go and just kind of scout out the place. But you also don't want to give... a day's dose to this man who's not capable. Certainly. But it's just another way to It is a way, but it's also good because he might give him everything. Yeah. Uh, You know. Anyways. But yeah, so they're using this as a, no, we have to. Yeah, so Dykes agrees Mm -hmm. to allow the FBI to leave the medicine at the hatch. And he also uh, was handed a, a phone, a telephone. But it wasn't a... He couldn't call just anybody on this phone. He could only speak to the command center at the FBI. So it was okay. how they spoke to him. After his cell phone died, they're tired of the pipe. We can't hear you, they say. Aha. Uh-huh. Gotcha. So yeah. let us give you this phone that yeah. you can't call out. And he wants to. You can to call be, us. So they figured out he wants to be heard. He wants to spout his mm. whatever he's wanting to spout. Yes. And they're, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I can't yeah. hear you. Yeah. If you want us to know what you want us to do, we need to be able to hear you. Let us so drop this phone. Here in. you go. Maybe uh-huh. there's a camera in that phone. You know, we'll never know. We'll never know, yeah. but that's okay. We don't uh, have to. So, so now Dykes is able to lay out his plan. Okay. He tells them they don't know any of this yet. We all know it, but the FBI doesn't yet. He wants to swap Ethan for a female TV reporter who's going to come down into the bunker with him and record him live as he rants and raves about the government and conspiracy theories and whatnot. All right. And then she's going to hold his hand while he puts a plastic bag over his face, fills it with helium, and commits suicide live on the air. And that will be the end of this standoff. That's his plan. So which, does he specify which female anchor? No, he just, he... He requested a female, which, you know, that's a red flag. Yeah. Why does it have to be a female reporter? Well, it's also... It's afraid a male reporter might overpower well, him. Well, first of all, he's taking a child as a hostage. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, he's, he's a coward. I mean, well, I'm not like, saying that this guy has a rational thought in his head. I'm no, just telling not. you what he's... He's not. What he's, he's laying out for the FBI. These are my mm-hmm. terms. Mm-hmm. And then he needs someone terms. to hold his hand. So, yeah. tell me this. Do they disguise an FBI agent who is a female as a as a reporter? No, that wasn't even discussed. I guess that would be a movie. This right? was a That yeah. would be yes, if this were a movie. That's yeah. exactly where okay. my mind went to. So, like, oh, we have female FBI agents. Yeah. yeah. So, the Dykes plan is a non-starter for the FBI. No, no. We they, can't. Well, no, we're, we're not. What gonna they're going to do is they're, they're going to try to keep him talking for long enough. 
mm-hmm. so that he either gives up out of frustration. Okay. Or he goes to sleep and they can get in there somehow. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where they, they start to figure out, we think we can get in there. Oh. Because remember that I said, they have talked to the neighbor who helped him build it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Months before. Yeah. So the FBI flies in a team of U.S. Navy CBs. And that's CB stands for Construction Battalion. Okay. My dad was in the CBs in Vietnam. The, the CBs can build anything. Okay, so there's So they fly okay. in a, a, a company of CBs, and they build a replica of the bunker out of wood behind an old restaurant that is uh, abandoned on the highway just down the road from where all this is taking place for the hostage rescue team to train in. Okay. And that takes a few days. My palms are sweating. I know. I'm just like, oh, It's too God. long. It's like... Yeah. I need this kid out of this bunker. I mean, so what are his parents doing? What are, I mean, just, just flipping out. I mean. Ethan's. Yes. Par- well, we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's another sad story. Um, oh. So this drags on for days and Dykes eventually gets frustrated. He's like, you, the FBI, uh, just another conspiracy. Mm-hmm. You guys are jerking me around, which of course they are. Yeah. Trying to drag this out as long as they can. Try to give their hostage team enough time to train and know what they're doing or maybe he'll just give up out of frustration mm-hmm. so Dykes is at some point says I'm not talking to the FBI anymore at that point they say will you be able or willing to talk to the local sheriff at least you know him you've known him for years he likes the local sheriff for whatever reason wow. we got a great local sheriff here in Cherokee County I could see Jeff Shaver being the guy who would be able to resolve this issue when nobody else could and so apparently something like that happened and Dale County back in the day. So he, Dykes agrees to continue his conversations on the phone with the local sheriff and his name escapes me, but they would talk for nine hours at a time. Oh God, how? Just, he's just trying to keep him calm, get the, and I'm sure the hostage negotiator from the FBI is in the sheriff's other ear. You know, keep him on the phone. Here's what to do. Ask him about this. Make sure Ethan's getting his medicine. Is he okay? That kind of thing. So they're able to drag it out that way. And what is Ethan doing? Ethan is playing with his coloring books. He's watching television. Remember, there's TV down there. Okay, so he's... So at least there's TV. I mean, you know, it's what every six-year-old kid did in... He's five. 2013. Five-year-old kid, I'm sorry. You know, he's watching TV. He's playing with coloring books. He's somehow maintaining an even keel. At least it sounds like it because Dykes isn't freaking out. And they're not hearing Ethan in the background flipping right. out. Yeah. Okay. Five days go by. And nothing pretty much had changed about the situation down in the bunker, except that by then the story was all over the national news. The Alabama boy in the bunker is the headline, and every TV news organization in the country has a satellite truck in Midland City and is zeroed in on this case 24-7. Yep. And again, that's what I don't remember, and I feel terrible Does about being a mediocre journalist. I remember it, but okay. I just didn't remember the details. Does okay. he have any of this of the news playing on this TV down there? My next paragraph answers your question. Okay. Dykes is watching every bit of this yeah. on the bunker in the because TV. Because that's what he wants. He does until he realizes that he's losing control of this narrative. <laughs> now that the media has taken over. Does he think he ever had control of this? <laughs> well, he did up until that point. And he's also had enough of dealing with Ethan and his emotional outbursts and his crying episodes, oh, which has. has become a thing by now. Well, I mean, you moron, you took a five-year-old to, a, did you not think the yeah. 
Well, the he child was going to cry. Yeah. Um, the FBI has become afraid that Dykes is going to harm Ethan out yeah. of that frustration yes. that they were trying mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to coax onto him or to push onto him. Yeah. Or the frustration with the boy or the situation itself or the delaying tactics. They're afraid he's going to get frustrated and act out. So I mentioned earlier that the FBI had video access to the bunker. We never explained exactly how that happened because we don't know. The FBI never explained it to us or anyone else. Could have been the phone. Could have been that PVC pipe. Could be a tiny drone. (laughs) I don't know. know. But they can see... Somehow, some way that Dykes' manner has changed, his volatility is increasing, they've got to do something to resolve the situation sooner than later. So the determination is made to get into the bunker. Yeah, yeah. get in there. Well, here's what they do, though. They drive all the way down to Florida and find one of Dykes' estranged daughters mm-hmm. who hasn't seen him for 25 years. Mm-hmm. They bring her all the way back up to Midland City. Mm -hmm. They put her in a pickup truck with the sheriff right outside the bunker, Mm -hmm. give her a laptop, and say, hey, Jim Dykes, we've got your daughter on the other end of this laptop computer that we would like to give you so that you can take it down into the bunker and talk to your daughter. He's very excited about that. He hasn't seen his daughter in a generation. Okay. She's an adult now. She was a kid when he saw her last. And as this daughter, I mean, your first order of business... She's very excited. She can't wait. She's going to speak to her father. She spends the whole ride up from Florida. Just a bundle of nerves. What is wait, she going what? to say? She's trying to help. She you know she wants she to wants resolve to this, this situation. Yeah. Sure, she wants to be part of the solution. Yeah, she and she ends out. up being a part of the solution, but just not in the way that she intended. Because it turns out that she was a distraction. Okay. They never intended for Jim Dykes to see his daughter on that computer. As soon as they handed him the computer, the thought process was that he would be, he would have a bulky computer in his arm. Mm-hmm. He would have to latch the hatch back, mm-hmm. climb down this 12 foot ladder. That's when he's at his most vulnerable, when he's going to mm-hmm. be further as far away from Ethan as he's going to get. Yes. So as soon as he closes that hatch and they hear it click about 10 hostage rescue guys come running around from behind a truck Mm-hmm. and they're they're about to blow this thing open. So they blow the hatch, and the first two guys, you can see this video. It's, it was on all the news networks at the time. The first two guys go jumping down the hatch, and they don't go anywhere because as Dykes is climbing down this 12-foot ladder, he's taking bungee cords, and he's stretching them at angles, odd angles, all the way down. He's creating a booby trap. Mm-hmm. So nobody can just drop down right behind him mm-hmm. and get into the bunker. And so the first two guys get caught up in these bungee cords and oh. they have to go back out. They, they're back out. The whole thing takes four minutes. It takes four. If you watch the video of the, the nightly news in the days after this thing was resolved, they make it look like, and they're just telling you what the FBI told them, like it was this smooth, silky operation that went off without a hitch. It was a shit show. Four of the it was longest, unavoidable. Four of the longest minutes. Ever. Sure, it was unavoidable. I mean, they didn't know, but you know, the, all of this planning and you know the old mm-hmm. the old saying, uh, "No combat plan survives first contact with the enemy," and this mm-hmm. one did not. Okay, so because what as happened? soon as they try to go down the bungee cord, so they they pull each other back up, and Dyke starts firing his gun up into oh, the shaft. Yeah, yeah. Magically, doesn't hit anybody. They try to drop a dog in. The dog gets caught in the 
a in dog. the bungee cords, like a, an attack dog. Okay. And so they pull the dog back out. And then finally somebody finds their flashbang stun grenades, drops a couple of those down. Somebody else finds a pair of wire cutters. And they get through the bungee bungee cords. cords, They get down to the bottom. There's smoke everywhere. Because, oh, the other thing that Jim Dykes did was he pulled the trigger that set off the bomb at the end of the PVC pipe down at the gate. And that went off. There was a huge explosion. But it backfilled the entire bunker with smoke. So nobody can see in this bunker, in this tiny bunker. It's filled with smoke. There's three or four FBI hostage team guys down there. The first one gropes around in the dark. He finds Ethan, Mm -hmm. and he covers him with his body. The second guy in gets into a fist fight with Jim Dykes. Jim Dykes is 65 years old and malnourished and crazy and smoke-intolated. So that doesn't take long. No. Inhalated. So pretty soon, uh, Jim Dykes has a bullet between his eyes. Like that fast. Bang. Just bam. So... Yeah, because at this point... The guy who on top of everything else beat a dog with a lead pipe is graveyard dead, and I'm excited about that. Well, he kidnapped a five-year-old. I know. I know that's worse, but... He kidnapped a five-year-old, and he shot the bus driver. And killed a bus driver. The hero. I mean, surely he knew he was dead when they got to him. That's why he's doing all this. Well, that was his... his, He didn't care. He didn't... He never expected to get out of that bunker again. But he's still got all these booby traps, and he's got, you know, blowing the... He's just... He's still just trying to maintain control. He wants it to be his. He wants to go out on his terms and not someone else's. Oh. Yeah. So that was the six-day drama of the Alabama boy in the bunker. How was Ethan when they got him out of the bunker? Ethan turned six years old two days after that ended. That ended on February the 4th. 2013, he turned six on February the 6th. Oh. Now, Ethan has had been in and out of foster homes before this oh. happened. Yeah, he was a foster child. But one of the families that he had spent some time with was a local pastor and his wife. He'd gotten back into the system again. He was in school. After this happened, they gave Ethan back to his mother for a little bit, but she wasn't able to take care of him properly, so he ended up back in the system again. And the wife of this pastor tells a story on one of the documentaries that I watched. She said, the social worker called me and said, Ethan's back in the system. And she said, bring him here. Mm-hmm. So this pastor in and around this area in Midland City or Dothan or wherever, they had nine, eight other foster children. Mm -hmm. So a very good family. Ethan couldn't have landed in a better place. And this documentary that I watched took place four or five years after those events. And he was still with that family. Mm -hmm. uh, And they had taken care of him before. And the woman said, listen, I already considered him mine. Yeah. And so for me to get that call, be able to take him back into my home again was perfect. And so he's, Ethan had, Ethan, he landed on his feet as well as could be expected for someone who'd been through that much trauma and had that many problems. He found a loving family that took care of him. Today he's 15. He'll be 16 a week after you hear this out there in true crime on easy street land. And in June of 2013, the governor of Alabama, just a few months after this happened, signed the Chuck Poland Jr. Act into law, which makes it illegal to trespass onto a school bus without permission. The fact that it wasn't already is kind of crazy, but at least mm -hmm, Chuck's name is memorialized. It's the Chuck Poland Act now, and uh, at some point after the events of January and February of 2013, a section of the four-lane through Midland City was renamed the Charles Poland Jr. Memorial Highway. Oh. And that's all I have today. Oh, my gosh. But Ethan... 
Landed on his feet, as you said. Yeah. And so we hope that wherever he is today, that he is thriving and... About to get well. old enough to drive. I mean, I, I guess, uh, yeah. I don't know how, what his issues are exactly, but, you know, he's a, almost at driving age. So, yeah. you know, he, he, he's grown up. We all have in the last Ethan, 10 years. you are a hero. Yeah. You really are. Scott, what a story today. Oh, my goodness. And I then did- the, the daughter was there and... Oh, she's, yeah, she's she was pissed at the FBI well, for being used as yeah. a as a ruse yeah, to open the the hatch and and allow and them to get down there. Yeah, yeah. And she's there as her father's and she shot, and she yeah. was so excited to get to talk to her dad and she listened to the gunshots that. Oh, in his life. Bless She's me. sitting right there. That's terrible. Yeah, uh, guys, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can listen to this podcast. I guess you've already figured that out if you're listening to the sound of my voice, so we don't have to explain that. But please don't forget to leave us a five-star review and uh, comment. some comments so that we can give you a shout-out on That's a future right. episode of True Crime on Easy Street. That's right. You did a great job this week, Scott. Yes. I mean, Katie, you said this earlier. I feel like I'm listening to a podcast because yeah. I'm because I didn't know this story. It's almost like we know the what the hell we're doing around here. What? I can't wait to try it again next week. <laughs> Good night, everybody.